Welcome to another installment of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. Today's episode is a compilation of some recent question and answer segments. We'll be touching on Kundalini and the misuse of powers for personal gain, sexual energy and libido, twin flames, energetic instability, and more. Join me live on Zoom for a free Kundalini Q&A meeting. I'm hosting these meetings because I know the journey is difficult. I want to offer an easy way for you to get your questions answered and to know that you're not alone. In the recent Kundalini Q&A meetings, we've had about 20 to 25 people show up. It's been a really great time. You can visit brentspirit.com slash kundalini QA to find out more. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel under my name, Brent Spirit. And please do me a favor and leave a rating on Spotify Mobile. All of this helps to get the message out. The more people that know about Kundalini, the less crazy we'll all feel. Thank you so much for all of your support. Now between segments today, you'll hear some cheesy meditation bells to let you know that we're shifting topics and on to the next segment. You can visit brandspirit.com for more free content, to find out how to beat with me one-on-one, and to make a donation to support this work if you feel called. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. In this segment, we'll be talking about Kundalini awakening and the misuse of powers for personal gain. Hello. Um, I want to ask you, what's your thoughts on utilizing this energy and using it for you know specific purposes you know like how you mentioned before for example charisma or uh, or creativity etc great great question so um there are two types of paths that they speak about in uh spirituality in general there is, you know, they would say the right-hand path and there's a left-hand path. Um, the left-hand path tends to be the more, um, you know, I'll just say, you know, ego-based path that wants to harness this energy and control it and use it to satisfy one's own means and ends um, to, to maybe, you know, attract uh, people or get money or... Um, cultivate actual psychic abilities and powers which are, are real things and there are uh you know schools that that cultivate these skills but um it comes at a cost um multiple costs the major cost is it comes at the cost of not being able to realize god and embody god you may have powers you may be powerful and attract people to you and whatever but you don't have god um, so that's the cost. The other cost is it requires energy. It requires a lot of ongoing maintenance. And this is why sometimes people will, you know, end up as a, these uh, sort of energetic vampires, you could say, abusing others to cultivate that energy, to keep it in their body and to keep using it for the powers, for whatever they abilities and whatnot. But then, of course, there's the right-hand path, which is the path that leads us towards God. And interestingly and paradoxically is when we move towards God, then we say, God, if you want me to be creative, use me as a channel. If you want me to um, have psychic abilities to be used in service uh, for healing, use me. I'm here. I'm open. And if those abilities and, and things come, they come. And if they go, they go. And the individual is totally uh, 
at ease with whatever God wants. So it's not that the individual is harnessing those the energy now for creativity or for charisma. It's just saying, if this is what God wants to flow through me and this is, this is what God wants to uh, express through me, then so be it. Um, so this is the more passive approach that takes ego out of the way and we can become real channels. And interestingly, I mean, these are the people who really are really creative. These are the people who really can make an impact um, and, uh, you know, spread their message far and wide and, and people can really, uh, you know, relate with them in a, in a meaningful way. Um, so those are some ideas here. So I would say for everybody here, aim towards moving towards God. You know, you've got God waking up and you go all the way, surrender to God, let God use you um, in the way that God wants to use you, the divine, the divine mother, the universe, whatever words you want to call it, rather than saying, well, I've got awakened Kundalini. How can I use this energy to, you know, uh, improve my sex life? Or how can I use it to, you know, become a great painter or a singer or to, uh, you know, to attract a lot of people to me or to become, you know, like a funny comedian and, and become famous. Though those things are possible, like I said, they come at a cost and the cost is we don't, we don't go all the way to God. Um, so keep those things in mind. And also um, a lot of this is twofold. We've got to think about ourselves on the path. How are we using our energy? And then of course we use that same understanding. And we apply it when we're looking out at the world and other people. Because there's many people with awakened Kundalini with many great gifts and powers and abilities, but um, they may not be using it uh, in, in surrender to what God wants them to do with it. They may be still um, holding on to a little bit of control and ego. And so with our understanding, we can use our discernment to steer clear of those people so they don't you know, drain us of our energy and take, uh, take our um, you know, vitality and, and power and um, harm us or at the very least you know just just mislead us and waste our time so i hope that um speaks to you medina appreciate it it's a good question perfect thank you oh you're so welcome in this segment we'll be talking about kundalini awakening and twin flames Thank you. There are a few ways that we can have this Kundalini awakening process triggered. A few ways that we can have the spiritual awakening path triggered. Of course, there are the ways that we know: meditation, devotion, chanting, breathwork, psychedelics, uh, shakti pot with like a guru. There's a new way which I don't think existed even 50 years ago, which is the encountering of uh, an ascension partner of what some may call a twin flame. Um, and this has been going on, I guess, within the past 10 years. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier than that, but it's very fresh. And that's why it's like, there's no, um, I guess, ancient writings about it. I think yeah. one of the main themes is that all of the things that I had mentioned, you know, meditation, breathwork, chanting, devotion, studying with the guru, Shaktipat, these things would kind of happen as like for the ascetics who would kind of go into like monastic life. Whereas the twin flame thing is like, you're going to do this in a relationship. And I think that speaks to the overall theme of our ascension that's happening right now on the planet is like, no more running away to the mountains, no more running away to the ashram. It's like, you're going to do it here in the world, in the city, in your, with your nine to five job, with your family, with your partner, with whatever. And so I think it's only makes sense that the universe would now bring about these sort of twin flame encounters to further our ascension along. Um, my journey in particular, I had a partner who I would say was a twin flame, was like an ascension partner, you could say. Um, and and this was about eight years ago. It was during this relationship, which, which was only two months. 
which went very deep, but that's when I had the most powerful Kundalini rising that, you know, started all this, uh, you know, very intensely for me. So I see it as very valid. Um, in, in all of my exploration thus far, I've concluded that there are some people whose role it is, is just to come into your life, to set you up for a very accelerated awakening process, to light you on fire, period. I don't go so far as to say there's some people who, you know, we share a soul with or we're meant to be together forever. There are just some people who just come to really light you on fire, to speed up your ascension process. Some of them are obviously romantic. Some of them, you you know, maybe somebody in your life that, you know, just gives you a really hard time. Um, but yes, it can cause a lot of, uh, you know, the dimensions of our life to be turned upside down, work, where we live, health. Uh, you know, you start to question everything because of the context of the relationship, but also because of the energy now moving through you. So it can be a very intense path. Those that haven't had this encounter might not be able to relate with you. They may think that you're just a, you know, a crazy person in love, but I understand it's more than that. There's something very energetically powerful about these relationships. Ultimately, what I've concluded is that self-love is the ultimate lesson here. You have to be yeah. your own ideal partner in the most intense way in every moment. So whatever it is that you would like from another person, you have to give that to yourself. If you want attention from them, you have to give it to yourself. If you want them to validate your emotions, you want them to apologize. If you want them to forgive, you got to do all of that for yourself. And that's the mirror that they're holding up for us. And uh, in time, the, the nice part about this path is that it is very fast. It's very fast. And a lot of growth can happen very quickly because opposite of you know, running away to a monastery, meditating by yourself, you have these people that are going to turn your life upside down and constantly trigger you, constantly trigger you and bring things up for you to very quickly process it. So that's a little bit about that. You can look forward to a talk that I'll put out um, that will go a little bit more in depth. I'll talk a bit more about my own experiences as well. In this Q&A segment, we'll be talking about Kundalini Awakening and libido. Medina says, can you speak a little on sexual energy during the Kundalini process? I'm naturally quite sexual slash sensual, but since my process started, my sexual desires have completely vanished. Can you speak a little on that? So Jay here adds to the question here. Can you also speak to the opposite? My high libido has become annoying to my husband. Okay. So kundalini awakening can amplify or diminish any type of experience that we can have in life. Emotional, emotionally, psychologically, the mind can become very active. The mind can become very still. We can feel a lot of peace emotionally in the body. We can also have you know, chaotic emotions. Of course, the same applies to our sexual energy, our libido, our sex drive. The energy itself seems to have a very uh, strong component associated with sexuality. Sometimes Kundalini is romanticized as this sexual energy that can be used and harnessed to enhance your sex life, to create a sort of spiritual sexual experiences and whatnot. Some of that is true. Some of it is a little bit um, you know, misappropriated from these ideas of Tantra and Tantric sex and whatnot. 
but of course there is some validity here there is uh, a very powerful sexual component to the the kundalini awakening process um specifically to the question here you know sexual desires can completely vanish at times it can be scary a lot of the times we associate our libido our sex drive with our vitality our health um, and if it suddenly disappears, we can think, well, something has gone wrong, right? We know that when people are depressed, when they have, uh, you know, some hormone imbalances, sex drive can diminish. This can also happen with uh, the Kundalini process. My view with this whole process is no, no matter what is arising, it's all rising to, uh, you know, show us something, teach us something to go through some sort of transformation. So we may not always understand the exact details of why the sex drive has now been diminished as a result of this process, but we can use this, this period that we're in to cultivate a new perspective on sexuality. Maybe for the first time since maybe we were young kids, we can look at the world without uh, you know, imposing some sort of a, a sexual agenda on it. We can look at a person and just see them for who they are, as opposed to having some sort of you know underlying or even uh, very... Uh, upfront like sexual objectification or some sort of agenda you know what can i do to you know get this person to find me sexually attractive or to sleep with me or whatever so maybe for a while that sort of theme disappears to us so we can really connect in, in a way that uh doesn't have sexuality involved not that sexuality is a bad thing but of course it's good to get some different perspectives at times and this is what this process is about um it can also serve to uh cause us to drop the uh, the physical, biological aim of you know sexual reproduction and move towards a higher spiritual aim, which is you know to unite with God, to unite with the spirit, as opposed to uniting with the flesh, with the physical. Once again, not that that's a problem. It's just so there's there's more to us than just the, you know the biology the, and the physicality. So these are some reasons for why this may come about. As well, um, the prana itself, the energy itself, may be drawn upwards to higher energy centers uh, where it's doing work on the throat, the third eye, the crown, where we're getting access to these deep meditative states of consciousness. And they may be so fulfilling and satisfying, sometimes even orgasmic, full body orgasm sometimes in these sort of deep meditations that the idea of, of sexuality and, you know, um, connecting with somebody in the physical it's like it's it's not that important for the time being for some it does eventually return but now it's re the sexuality returns in a new way um where we're able to sort of know that there's more to it we can use the sexuality as a vehicle to connecting with the spirit now that we've had more of a you know a relationship with you know connecting with the spirit in general um for some the, the sexuality doesn't necessarily have to come back and that can be scary, but in time, you, you know, you'll find balance. Um, for me, it disappeared for a period and I became very afraid. I, I thought, you know, I was, I think 22 when this happened. So for a 22 year old, seemingly healthy guy to like have go completely almost like a, you know, experience of asexuality was very frightening. Um, I didn't know, you know, what, what was going wrong. Um, so I understand, but eventually it came back, it came back in a more balanced way. I'm able to be a little bit more uh, conscious around it now that I have some space. So these are some things you can sort of look towards. It's, it disappears and then it comes into a new uh, degree of integration and balance. Um, to Jay's question here, you know, can you also speak to the opposite? My high libido has become annoying to my husband. 
yeah, the libido can also become very, very heightened as well. Um, once again, as a lot of prana goes into those those lower energy centers, the, the second chakra, sacral chakra, um, you know, we can become uh, um, very sexually uh, charged. And this um, is, once again, a sign of vitality. Um, um, it can also be as a result of, you know, maybe prior to that, we were in some sort of uh, dealing with, you know, maybe depression or hormone imbalance, or maybe there was some trauma around sexuality and shame. And now as those things start to clear, suddenly the libido comes online because it's unimpeded by, you know, the uh, the resistance, the conditioning um, that, you know, maybe you could call it trauma or karma around those themes. So the sexuality comes on in a, in a new way. Once again, um, in time, if you can harness that energy and bring consciousness to it, because now it's in your face and you learn how to become conscious about it, um, which is a different way from it disappearing, eventually you can, uh, you know, find a, a steady balance. Of course, um, I like to say Kundalini, every dimension of our life will, will go through some changes, uh, our career, our relationships, and perhaps, you know, this issue around, you know, your high libido annoying your husband is also bringing up some things to contemplate within the relationship that you can look at through a more conscious lens um, and whatnot. So there's some ideas um, about sexuality and Kundalini. Um, it's difficult stuff. Uh, obviously, it's not talked about too much because it's, it's you know, obviously it's, it's sensitive, but um, just like anything else, sexuality can go through some, some significant changes. Um, not unusual, not unheard of, nothing's going wrong, you're not sick. But of course, no medical advice here. And I honestly encourage people to consult with their doctors. No harm in saying, you know, I haven't got my sex drive. Maybe I'm, you know, there's some some imbalances that I should, uh, you know, get some blood work and get it checked out and see what the doctors have to say. Nothing wrong with that as well, okay? In this next segment, we'll be talking about Kundalini awakening and getting triggered. Just, just, it's pretty intense. I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> right, right. No, thank you for sharing. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a very intense, rapid process. Some it's more slow and gradual and subtle, but I think some of us, um, you know, dare I say, prior to coming into this life, signed up for a very intense journey. And uh, things just happen relentlessly to get this cleanup process sorted out ASAP. And that happens with intense triggering and i think that you are right on where you say you know some of the experiences you had sort of echoed prior experiences you had in the mm, past mm, mm, right mm. so speaking to the group in general what i found was that through synchronicity the flow would bring us experiences today that so closely mimicked experiences of pain that we had years ago solely to bring up the pain from years ago into this moment today where we can face it with consciousness and release it altogether so mm -hmm. i noticed this because the, the, i i started to notice this in a, in a big way but one interesting experience sort of sparked it for me so um i was dating this girl and she would always um like just ghost me in the weirdest times, most abrupt times. It was very strange. But one time we were supposed to go to a, a yoga class together. She said, hey, I'm going to come. I'll pick you up. I'm on my way. Never showed up. I was there sitting on the 
hunt stabs with my clothes on, yoga mat, my, my jacket on, never showed up. So I'm like, okay, you know, I understand to some degree I'm going through some healing journey here. It's very intense, very difficult. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, I hear from her and it's like nothing happened. It was very strange. That was painful. Like a, a year later, I'm dating someone else and the exact same thing happens. She, she was supposed to go to yoga together and last minute, she's like, you know, I can't make it. And I'm like, why is this happening? Why are these girls, you know, bailing on me just before yoga it's so strange and then i i caught on i said this is not happening by chance by fluke this is a synchronicity helping me to process all of this abandonment wound from the feminine and so i said okay i see they're they're coming they're pushing the button and saying oh brent you have a big red button on you that says i fear abandonment from the feminine from god from my mother from my friends from women let's push it and every time they pushed it, they're like, all right, let's see if this time you'll process that pain or are you going to blame me? And finally, I caught on. I said, okay, they're pushing the button that I'm walking around with, with this huge button. And they're helping and they're pushing it. So then I said, okay, thank you. I understand the, the work here. I understand the homework. I'll go in my room and I'll sit and I'll cry and I'll feel upset and feel pain. And I'll go into the container of meditation just to process this, which is a wound that had nothing to do with them. It just had, it's just a wound that was, you know, I inherited, um, ancestrally, um, my dad, his mother died when he was nine days old. And so this is a wound that has been, I've been carrying around, which I inherited, which I, I learned, um, just ideas like that. So I saw that the world is coming to give me these little triggers to help me to process things very quickly. And it was all happening according to flow, according to synchronicity. None of this is random. None of this is uh, um, just coincidence. It's all very masterfully orchestrated and directed by like a, a very brilliant filmmaker, you could say. Now, of course, I have to add a, a, a very important disclaimer here. Somebody's abusing you. We get out of the abusive situation. We don't say, oh, you're abusing me because you're helping me to heal. No, abuse is, is treated in the way that you would hope that your best friend would treat it. They get out, they seek help, they seek justice. We don't justify um, being in abusive situations by saying this is some sort of spiritual orchestration. Um, just keep that in mind. But the everyday friction in relationships, when people are kind of bailing on you and pushing your buttons and you go to the store and the customer service is terrible, that stuff is all here to help you to trigger old frustration, old confusion, old resentment, jealousy, all that stuff. It's all going to come up. And that's how we can do this very quickly. Otherwise, the option is, Go sit in a cave and try to dig all this up yourself. It takes a long time. It's very hard. In this next segment, we'll be exploring whether we're being punished for falling into old habits when things get difficult on the Kundalini Awakening journey. My overall attitude towards this process is that nothing is arising as a punishment. And I know you use that word a little reluctantly. But I, I really don't think that um, anything is coming up as a punishment for not doing what we were supposed to do. I think that by default, this is the divine mother and she's loving and she's encouraging us through a transformation. And um, it's difficult, but it's not that she's punishing us. In fact, and I think this will speak to everybody, and I don't think I've ever really thought of this, but I am absolutely certain based on 
all of the people that I've encountered, read about, spoken to, as well as I, I would go so far as to say every single individual that's gone through this process since the beginning of history or prior to history even. I don't think anybody has got it perfectly right in a straight shot. They just did everything right every single day, every moment, and they they nailed it. I think every single person has had, you know, to practice. And that's why it's a spiritual practice. You know, we we it's a walk on the razor's edge and sometimes we fall off, but the path is always there and we get back on. And if I can go even further to make it even more of a soothing idea is that sometimes we have to revisit old things, old habits, so that we can bring our awareness and mindfulness to it. So then we can say, ah, this is what I am consciously choosing to release and let go of. Whereas prior, those habits and stuff, we didn't have that awareness that looked at it with consciousness. So now the universe or God or the Kundalini is saying, okay, let's revisit those old things. Let's bring that up so we can look at it, examine it with unconditional love and say, oh, you know, my my inner child, the little, the little old, you know, young Brent, he used to be like this. And I forgive him for being that way. It's okay. He was doing his best. And I forgive myself now for, for reverting back into those habits. And like that, we're able to release it as well. The, the journey is not this like linear chronological sort of thing where it's like, you know, it makes it to your throat and then your third eye. And then if it drops, it's like, now you got to start over. It's not like, it's not like that. The energy can go up and down. It can, you know, be in multiple chakras at a time. It can circumnavigate the chakras. It can, can do all sorts of interesting things that uh, I admittedly don't know all the details of. But what I do know is that, um, Whatever's coming up, as long as we bring gentleness to it, we bring some awareness to it, um, and and we're easy with ourselves. It's all it's all good. It's all you know being brought up to be you know related with in a new way, in a more conscious way, in a more loving way. And um, you know, you can even say you know how else would we undo some of those habits that we've got, uh, you know, in our nervous system, in our memory, in our muscles, if not by revisiting them with with unconditional awareness. Um, as well, you know, you mentioned, you know, crying, laughing, um, interesting experiences, but these are all releases. So I just want to just for the group so that we can see, you know, when, when you're having something come up, it's not like, oh, no, why am I crying? This is not this isn't good. I'm doing something wrong or or something is off. It's like, oh, I'm crying all the tears I hadn't cried before. There's no reason in my external life to trigger me for this. It must be some tears that I've been holding on to. Let's let them flow. Let them come out. Our culture, I mean, especially for men, you know, Bryn Moore and I, I'm sure we can relate, is that, you know, we were told, you know, don't cry. Men don't cry. Boys don't cry. But those tears have to go somewhere. So they're stored somewhere still in our system. The energy is still stored. So you may just start spontaneously crying as well. Just for the record, you know, sometimes we have emotions come up that are really raw. We look at our external life and our relationships. They're going pretty well. You know, we're eating food, good food. Job's going well, but why am I feeling sad? Why am I crying? Why am I angry? Some of it is not even ours. It's just collective, raw, primal rage, primal sadness, primal fear that we're just burning up because we've inherited it just by virtue of being a human being. And so you can know that not every single emotion you have has a specific historical connection to you as the individual. Some of it is just collective. And we're just evolving and purging and purifying it for ourselves as well as everyone else.
In this segment, we'll be exploring the idea of losing our creativity as well as our personal identity as we go through the Kundalini Awakening journey. And I'm like, I don't know what is going on. It's just like um, I'm checked out. I'm checked out of the art and design world right now. And I'm waiting and trying to trust and surrender that something else is going to come in or some wisdom is going to come in. Um, I, it's very confusing because, I've, you know, a big part of my identity is around being a creative and being an artist. That's that's what people know me for. So it's like, if that's going, who am I? Or is that the point of it? Right, right. Great, great question. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very common. Uh, we hear about people going through this process, and suddenly they become very creative. But of course, you're having the the opposite experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> what What's coming to me is that, uh, you know, the journey of the artist is never a straight line. Um, and I'm sure you, you know that. Um, if you are an artist in your heart, you can trust that you will be, you know, used as an artist to express um, once God is, you know, done working on you in the way that God is working on you. Um, I think you said something very revealing there, which I invite you to contemplate more, which is around the identity of the artist in you and how that's kind of being challenged. Um, I would invite you to consider that you're more than an artist and in order to see that you're more than an artist you have to kind of put the artist identity. You've got to take that hat off for a little bit. Later on, you may be able to put it back on, but you'll know that this isn't this isn't all of you. Um, and that may be kind of where you're being invited as well. Um, you may be sort of in a sort of uh, energetic art school where you're going through some upgrades and some work is being done. And later on, you may have, you know, you may not even have the time to get out all of the stuff that now is ready to come out, right? You're in a period where you're, something is happening. Um, so these are some different perspectives to consider. Um, I, it's not, you're not the first person that I've, uh, I've encountered that's been very similar. You know, they say, I can't sing, I can't play music. I don't know what happened, but in time it comes back in a new way. It's fresh. Um, um, this is just the journey of the artist, which, which people who aren't artists can't understand. Because often people with you know regular job, it's very linear. It's very the laid. The path is laid out, but the artist yeah. has some some interesting challenges. And I, I'm an artist myself, so I can I can relate as well. Um, there's a great book which you might um, um, find useful. It's called The War of Art, not The Art of War, but The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I'm typing it in the chat here. Excellent book. It might be my favorite book of all time, um, and it speaks to oh inviting the muse in to inspire you as an artist and and how we can um, overcome the resistance to doing art by surrendering to the muse and and i i don't want to get too into it but it's a very short read but every word is gold and um it's actually the the whole reason behind all of what i'm doing here um so you may be invited oh, to now invite in the muse which is of course the goddess the divine mother to relate with her in a new way and this is why i think i think it's the greeks right they had these muses which were these goddesses um and so maybe you're invited to to relate with with your art in a new way so these are some things to consider uh the war of art by stephen pressfield thank you i um yeah i i love the idea that 
you know, there's more to me rather than rather than it's all slipping away. I love the idea that there's I'm in a holding space and there's more to me and that I'm going to be given more plus maybe the art desire back. And yeah. So, so yeah, that's, along those that's lines. <laughs> Along those lines, uh, are you familiar with Ram Das? Yeah. Yeah. So he had a very similar experience, not as an artist per se, but um, I think he, he, you know, he's one of the first people to, in the West to explore, uh, you know, magic mushrooms. He's a Harvard professor mm -hmm. and he does these mushrooms mm -hmm. and suddenly his whole identity falls away. And he's just like, it was all just like, uh, you know, he's walking around with the hat that said, I'm a Harvard professor. And he's like, that, that disappeared. So you, you can maybe relate with him on this theme of, of the, the hats falling off and just, you know, all the things that we think that we are falling away. And then, of course, you know, he put on a new hat as Ram Das, but he was able to navigate that new role, not taking himself to completely be it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you may find some similarities in your journey. And of course, Ram Das went through Kundalini Awakening if... Uh, if that was uh, something people were wondering about. But thank you. Thank you, Claire. I appreciate it. In this segment, we'll be exploring astrological events and their influence on those going through Kundalini Awakening. Yeah, so the, um, the influences of the uh, astrological alignments, um, the celestial bodies, the moon, the planets, the uh, position of our galaxy... Uh, in the universe, all these types of things, um, like everything, it's all interconnected and it all has some influence on us in some way. Uh, in my personal life and approach, I don't know much of the details of that, but I do recognize the validity of the influence that these um, astrological alignments and events have on the planets. Um, in particular, the individual even more specifically during this process, because of course we become very sensitive to a lot of things, we become sensitive to, you know, going in the grocery store and standing next to somebody who's not having a good day. So of course these gigantic planets are also going to have some influence on the very sensitive, um, you know, nervous systems that we're walking around with. How in the details above, above my pay grade, not my particular interest, but there are those who are very astute in describing uh, some of these um, more uh, nuanced details, which you can look into. Um, and, you know, in my view, I, I think it's valid. One thing that you can note is, yes, according to certain cycles, uh, you know, it seems you're very sensitive. Each month, every full moon, you're having, you know, some, some you're taking note that there's some uh, alignments happening. Um, it's valid. It's valid. Uh, for me, uh, the, the moon's alignment doesn't, I don't feel it so much, but eclipses, very much so. Um, even leading up to the eclipse, afterwards, I can really uh, um, note some some energetic stuff, sometimes in my personal life, emotionally, things are coming up. And I can, you know, uh, either anticipate, okay, I've got some, some, some intensities coming because, you know, I may hear the news about an eclipse. I can just take note of that. And maybe in my life, I'll take a little bit of space. I'll kind of maybe keep my schedule a little bit light just so I can anticipate some energetic movements and then I can process it. Um, in hindsight, looking back, maybe you don't recognize it that there's, you know, uh, uh, some sort of astrological events. 
and you go through something really intense. And a week later, you look and you say, oh, there was an eclipse on the other hemisphere. Okay, I see why it was so intense. So maybe that's another way that we can be a little bit more in a state of surrender and understanding that maybe you know you had some very significant emotional event take place between you and a person in your life and you want to blame them. A week later, you recognize, ah, eclipse, we're all being affected. Okay, maybe it wasn't so much their fault and they're just you know, going along with, uh, you know, the influences of, of all of these energies that we're, we're dealing with in the world. Um, so these are some things you can keep in mind. Hatha yoga. Person. Sorry, just one last thing. So Hatha yoga is, is, a, is a type of yoga. Uh, um, hatha meaning sun, moon, sun and moon. So uh, the goal of Hatha yoga is to uh, create a balance and uh, a, a unity between the sun and the moon those energies, which is, of course, an eclipse. And if you read the text Hatha Yoga Pradipika, I'm going to write it in the chat here. Hatha Yoga Pradipika. It is, uh, I spelled it wrong, yoga, not Yoda. <laughs> so um, it's a text that speaks directly about Kundalini awakening in a very uh, clear way. Um, it's not so much about, um, you know, downward dog and whatnot. It's about uh, awakening of... of uh, Kundalini. In this next segment, we'll be exploring Kundalini awakening and energetic instability. How can we use self-care to avoid flying really high and crashing really hard? There will be periods where we become, um, you know, we could say ecstatic, heightened energy, uh, feel like we don't need to sleep, Feel like we don't need to eat as well as really heightened mood feeling quite literally that we're you know we're unstoppable um of course not a mental health professional and this isn't medical advice but some would call this to be you know like ma mania uh, manic um so these types of things can happen as this energy moves through us as blockages are healed and released suddenly this huge influx of energy can come online and we you know it, it really you know gets us fired up um but then, of course, like you said, I mean, you know, what goes up must come down. Um, we, we can't sustain those states. Even though we feel like we don't need to sleep, we do eventually need to sleep. We do eventually need to eat. And like anybody, any person, um, the full range of the human experience, the full range of human emotions, uh, you know, they're all of the emotions are bound to return at some point. So we can't stay in a heightened ecstatic state for long. Eventually, we will feel sad. We will feel down. Um, and so what happens for some is we go really high and then there's a crash, like you said, and then we have to sleep, we have to eat, we have to recover. Um, not uncommon at all for us, for, for people to go through those cycles. However, um, they can be managed and actually uh, somewhat uh, regulated so that there aren't these huge spikes, these flying really high and then crashing really hard and flying really high and crashing really hard. For some of us, we have to have an experience or two kind of get that experience to get a little bit of a, a feel for it and then understand, okay, how can we properly manage those situations in the future? Um, for most people, the path is never uh, consistent per se. So it's not like you're going to have these periods every time. It's like next month, you're going to be in a different place, experiencing different things to different degrees. It's like different chapters all the time. So what you can do is recognize flying super high it needs to be tempered with self-care. So even if you say, I don't need to eat, I've got all this energy, just 
get some food in you. Ideally, some something heavy, dense, fat, protein, uh, grounding foods. Um, if you say I don't need to sleep, you do need to sleep. We all need to sleep. So just lay in bed, rest, relax. Just do something very uh, relaxing instead of staying up all night, like, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, like just running around or whatever. Still have to give the body some rest. Um, a key thing to note is when you become insomniac, it's very important to recognize that sleep is one of the most uh, important factors that determine your energetic instability as well as your mental health. So some people, when you recognize, I'm getting a little ungrounded, I don't need to sleep. Actually, that's when you recognize I do need to sleep. Because what happens is people go uh, without sleep and then the sleep deprivation causes even more energetic instability and they can kind of, kind of, uh, you know, get a little too far out. Um, and so sleep, very important, eating, very important. Um, even if you're not hungry, just, just keep in mind, try and get something light, even some fruit, um, and just to avoid these huge spikes just to avoid these huge spikes. So we avoid those huge spikes with with self-care. But you don't need to worry that this is going to be how it goes for you. Like I said, things will change uh, as you progress. For, for the most part, what I've noticed, even with myself in the beginning, the first year is like super up and down and dynamic and flashy and there's mystical experiences and everything is very exciting. Over time, all of that novelty, as we mature and as our nervous system becomes acclimated to holding those higher states of energy and higher states of consciousness, we become more and more just integrated and it's just streamlined and we can return actually to a baseline, which may look like, you know, a normal person. You wake up at a regular time, you go to sleep at a regular time, you eat normally, your mood is stable, but yet there's this peace that's just all encompassing of it, but it takes time to get to that place. So in the meantime, self-care is very, very important.